I was in Nepal and I literally slipped on a rock and I fell off a cliff. I fell off a cliff and everyone was screaming. They thought I was going to die. I was a few kind of inches away from falling like into a ditch. While I was falling, I swear to you, I kid you not. Do you know what I was thinking? Like, I guess this is how people die. And you know what? If this is how I go, I'm really, really happy because at least I'm doing something I love and I can be a good example to my girls that you should follow your heart and your passion no matter what the risks are. This is Helen Alusaisi and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcast. If you ask yourself, what actually is Chapters of My Life podcast? You can only ask you the question, imagine your past life. So, right, where should I start? Imagine you need to write your life story in the form of a book already. And often we think you have to be 60, 70, 80 years old to do that. But it's a challenge itself. And frankly, not everyone has thought of this. As we all think, when we get older, we should write about our life. But in fact, we have so many experiences ready to share with others already. Achievements, failures to learn from, positive and negative life transitions, which in the end lead to the person we are today. This Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audio book format, capturing the real power and belief of people during important life-changing decisions to inspire other millennials to learn from and to see that life transitions are here to help. We interview innovators, athletes, entrepreneurs, and idealists giving an insight into their past life from young age till today and maybe future untold plans and recovering topics around sport, entrepreneurship, mindfulness, travel, nutrition, meditation and much more. Everything which leads to the present there today. Interviewed by me, Daniel Ludwig, led by Daniel Ludwig. What a powerful woman. Helen Alousaisi, CEO of Bisworld UAE. She was recently named one of the UAE's 100 smartest people and one of the 50s most influential women in the Arab world. Besides an active supporter for non-profit organizations across the region as a mentor, board member and advisor, she is a triathlete, to be precise, four times Ironman 70.3 finisher. Her life book called Grit and it got five chapters, which is truly a story of a girl who did it all right but was lost to find the shining light. During throughout her life, she wants to change the world, but also empower young people to step into entrepreneurship and to find solutions for social issues. In fact, for her, all children are born as entrepreneurs. A statement I can only underline. Enough said. This time is social entrepreneurial and sport-focused podcast to empower young people. Here we go. Enjoy. So here we are. Thank you so much, for Helen, for taking the time. Not at all. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. So I was really worried about last year. Actually, I wanted to speak with you last year. Yes. Um, trying to get you on the on the mic. And I saw your busy schedule. Yeah. Very busy schedule. Yes. And uh, <laughs> earlier this year, or actually a couple of weeks ago, I said, I'm not going to miss that interview. Yeah. I really want to record your story. I really want to put it in chapters and share it with other young people. And so I thought, okay, how about I follow up again? I did the message and what, to my surprise, and I found it really encouraging, he said, I cannot make it in the evening because I really want to spend time with my precious two girls. Yes. And I found it really amazing. I found it that is a person who really prioritizes time yeah. for the loved ones. Yes. So I thought, 
that actually is really the person I want to meet and okay. <laughs> want to really share. <laughs> because you really care about people who you you know close to your heart. Yeah. So um I met you, I think it was last year in E7, right? Yeah. E7, um, where we had that entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think uh, we had pr probably met before, but I was giving a talk at the E7 uh, graduation. Yes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So they had invited me to go and speak about um, trying to encourage young girls to follow their dreams. And if you remember, I was in a cast. Exactly. And that, yeah. that was actually the reason why I remember you very well. Yeah. Because I was like, why is she... You know, why she has a broken, what's a broken leg, right? Broken foot. Bro bro broken foot. And, like, and then I dig deeper, and actually when we spoke, you mentioned that you came from the triathlon or yeah. marathon? Triathlon, yeah. Triathlon, and like, wow. And when I was listening to the story, that's a person, a marathon and runner. Yeah. With that passion, but also, I was surprised, you already planned your next run. Of course. As, so soon, as, you get, as soon as you get out of the cast, you have to have... Uh, The next thing planned, otherwise you lose your motivation, you know. Um, I remember when I broke, I broke my ankle in uh, October 2016, October 2016, and, um, or was it, yeah, 2016, and um, everyone thought that I would never, I wouldn't be able to do the half Ironman in January, but as soon as my cast came off, it came off in November, I did some physio, and January 27th, I did my first half Ironman. So you can still do it. So it's, there's nothing like breaking a leg is just a, per, a temporary um, bump in the road. Half Ironman is already quite a long yeah. adventure. Yeah. What did you do afterwards? So you, if I remember you planned another half yeah. Ironman? Half Ironman, yes. A couple of months later, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've done, yeah, I did it a few months later. I also did a, um, a ultra marathon in Norway. Um, after my first broken ankle, um, I did an ultra marathon a few months later yeah. in uh, Norway. Yeah. Um, it was a trail marathon. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I broke my foot in um, April last year and I did half Ironman a couple of months later again. So, so when you say a couple of months later, what is your average healing time? Because <laughs> it sounds really, you know, we go in later in the story yeah. a little bit more like how it all started and how you're supporting yeah. people. But you're also a lot into sport, you know, yeah. you learn, you're teaching soft skills, yeah. which you actually embrace for your daily life as yeah. an uh, athlete as well. Yeah. So what is your healing time when it comes to like two, three months later? Yeah, so the, what, what I found interesting was when I, um, when I broke my foot, it was broken in an area of my foot called the fifth metatarsal bone. And it's supposed to be one of the hardest places to heal. They usually say it takes about 10 weeks and most of the time people need surgery. Mm, so okay. I took it upon myself to kind of understand what, it's re what was required for healing. And I did a lot of research. I asked a lot of people, spoke to doctors, and they all said the reason why the, um, the bone doesn't heal is because there's no circulation. So what I did was I started doing exercises even while I was in the cast. I, I took the right supplements that would help with bone healing. And instead of 10 weeks, in five weeks, the cast was off. I was able to start walking again um, properly within five weeks. And during the five weeks, I used to um, swim. I used to do single-legged cycling. Um, I used to do leg exercises. So when my cast came off, I didn't lose a lot of muscle. And the five weeks later, I was able to slowly rebuild and get back into it. So you did exactly the opposite of what everyone would Yes. Ask you to Absolutely. Do. 
and I and I had a lot of people saying that I was crazy. And then I actually got the copies of the x-rays before and after and showed everyone that was telling me that I was overdoing it, that if you do the right things, your body, can, your body is strong enough to heal if yeah. you know what to do with it. And if you understand your limitations, mm-hmm. your body is a lot stronger than we realize. And it's mind over body. Um, at the end of the day, if you want to make it... Um, if you want it to be an excuse not to do things, you can make it an excuse. You can find an excuse any, any, anywhere you look. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to have any excuse and you want to get something done, you'll find a way, right? Yeah. So you just, I just found a way because it was something that was important to me. It's also interesting that you actually, as I mentioned before, like you, everyone would think, you know, you will lay down at home, you rest, yeah. you know? Everyone would advise you to do that. Yes. But it's interesting that you actually looked into the problem. Yeah try to find your own solution yes and I did rest yeah you know I used to rest I used to um, but I would rest in a different way so I was working from home a lot of times um, but it still didn't stop me from going and doing interviews when I needed to do them or um, speeches if I needed to do them and my working out I got a um, I mean I, I researched so much stuff that I can do and you can do so much I used to row for cardio because I couldn't run yeah or, you know, so I would do rowing because yeah. your leg is on the floor. There's not, as long as there's no impact on it no and you're not putting sure. any, yeah. putting it in any kind of danger yeah. of becoming worse, then why should we sit at home and just do nothing and kind of, you know. Yeah. So in other words, when you know that you can control the situation. Yeah, you, you and, can, uh, yeah. you take the situation, whatever it is, and you make the most out of it. So I decided that, you know what, what I'm going to do is focus on my upper body. I'm going to go on a nutrition plan so I don't gain weight. Yeah. I actually lost weight and lowered my body fat percentage. Okay. And it was just, I mean, it was fine. It wasn't even like, it wasn't this big deal, you know? Okay. Everyone thought it was a big deal, but yeah. it wasn't a big deal. It was just another kind of little bump yeah. along the way that I had to kind of experience. Yeah. And I enjoyed it while it lasted, you know? I think it's also when you know that experience and you went for that, then yeah. you are less, um, or you you know better for the next time yeah. that you recover easier and you yeah. know how to deal with that rather yeah. than, oh, it's another setback and yeah. I, you know, I need to stop again and it's yeah. another negative. No, it's actually, you know, you can respond positively yeah. on that. Helen, when I Googled your name online, okay. I found several like titles for you. I found, not titles, I mean, definition. You're a social entrepreneur, you're a speaker, you're a triathlete, yeah. you're a CEO of Bizworld, yeah. UAE. And... When you would want to give yourself a title, if yeah. you want to give yourself like a two, three words, what yeah. would it be? Social entrepreneur. A social entrepreneur. But first and foremost, like, I actually like being a mom. Um, so for me, I'm a social entrepreneur and I'm a mom, you know? Um, social mom entrepreneur. <laughs> social mom entrepreneur. <laughs> it just, I mean, um, some people say, you know, you, you shouldn't really talk about, you know, that you're a mom, that's not a title. But I think there's a lot of, Uh, value in understanding that yes I am a mom and like you were saying earlier my priorities change because I'm a mom so it's a very big part of who I am but yeah I'm a social entrepreneur it's interesting that you mentioned that because when you think about parents etc it's we see they're complete separating it from the career yeah there's a career and there's parenthood yeah and we're trying to balance both but when we're actually putting it towards a career let's say putting it as a priority on a yeah. daily basis then 
you not necessarily struggle to balance yeah. it. You'll see yeah. purpose and purpose. And um, one, one, before I want to go into the details of the books, one thought I had last year when I first met you, I thought that's a person, it's a triathlete mindset who is teaching also soft skills mm -hmm. to young people. Yes. Uh, so initially transferable soft skills. Yeah. And I think this is something which we're going to talk later a little bit in the, in the TED Talk, is something which you started to live yeah. from the very beginning yeah. you know, of your whole career. Yeah. Choice. So when I ask you, imagine, so this is, now we're uh, talking a little bit more about the, the book. Okay. So in case you're going to write a book about yourself. Yeah. In what section in the library would I find your book? Would I find it in the sports section, in the parenthood section, in the entrepreneurship section? <laughs> what in the biography section. Biography <laughs> section. Okay. Um, so th actually, a lot of people have told me that I should write a book. And it's not because of one specific area. There is an underlying kind of theme in everything that I do. And whether it's the personal challenges that I faced and the way that I've kind of gotten out of them, the career challenges I face, the educational challenges, the sports, um, the one thing that underlies all of it um, is that I don't give up, you know? Um, and so I think it would probably be in the, I don't want to say self-help, but it would be in the, <laughs> it would be in the kind of biography, um, kind of crazy person story, you know, crazy life type of story. Yes. I think that's, I mean, that would probably be where. Maybe part of the chapters can be published in other sections in the library probably. as well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, falling off a mountain and like, you know, these are things that doesn't, don't happen to everyone, you know? Yeah. You don't just fall off a mountain. I fall off a mountain, you know? Like, I've fallen off mountains. I've, like, I can't think of anyone that has had this many, like, just ridiculous things happen to them. <laughs> fall off a mountain sounds actually like a title. No, how no, to I've, fall off the mountain. How to fall off the mountain and, and get back up. <laughs> um, when I, let's say, I, I go to the library and I find your book in the, in the biography section. Yeah. And her story is like a fall off the mountain, etc. you know, and this is what we're going to talk in the chapters, but what would I see when I... You know, take the book out of the shelf. Yeah. What would I see first thing on the cover? What design, what would I see? Is, is it you? Is it a mountain? Is it like young kids? Is it... What no, is it, it would what probably be a finish line of some sort. A finish line? What, yeah. what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? So... Um, It would either it would be the like the achievement of something. So it would either be the top of the mountain or the finish line of an Ironman, or something um, like that. Were you crossing the line? Yeah. Were you so it depends on what at that point I consider my greatest achievement to be, okay. you know. Um, but it would be something like that um, because I think the process is culminated in the finish. Yes. So yes, the process is the most important thing. But at the end of the day, you know that you've done the process when you get to the finish. Which leads me to what I just see right now. Everyone who is <laughs> currently <laughs> listening to it, I see on the, on the right angle of my eye, like the medals you yeah. won. Um, which is technically the medals, is the which you, you get want, after yeah. you're crossing the line. Yeah. So how, how would you define receiving the medal? Is it more kind of an appreciation? 
of mm. the pain you suffered for the last couple of hours? It's never pain. Or through just the journey? Or what, what is it? It's, How would you define it? It's just it? saying, you know what? You put in the work, you did the time, and you achieved the goal you set out to achieve. Yeah. So there's no... I don't look at any of the races as suffering or pain or... You know, it just... There, each each race has been completely different. Some yeah. of them I crossed the line f crying because I was in so much pain. Some of them I crossed the line dancing. Some of them I crossed the line singing. But it's always the um, the f the kind of this is what you've been working for. You know, um, I remember I did a the ultra marathon in Norway, mm -hmm. and um, in Norway they don't give medals. They give a little cup. They give a glass cup that's engraved, and I was I was angry. Like, where is my medal? I need I need the proof that I finished this, you know. And then, um, luckily, there was a kids um, half marathon earlier, yeah. and they had small medals. <laughs> so I went to the guys and I was like, "Listen, I need something to symbolize that I finished this. You can't just give me a glass that I'm going to put in a cupboard somewhere." Yeah. And uh, so they gave me a small medal, you know, <laughs> and for me, the medal is always a sign that I worked hard to get it. I see. You know, I worked hard and I got it. It's like passing an exam. Why do you want to pass an exam? Because you want to know that you put in the time, you put in the work and you did it. You know, what do you um, compare to also with like winning an award mm. when it's an entrepreneurship award, yeah. if it's any kind of award, yeah. what do you? No, I don't see. I don't. I don't really. All the so I've won lots of awards. Yeah. None of them mean much to me. Okay. Um, I've gotten on lists, and you know, none of them mean that much to me, because I didn't do that work looking for recognition. I did that work mm. just because that's my life, you know. So when you tell me that I, you know I won Social Enterprise of the Year, fine, it's good. I'm not saying it's not good, you know, and I'm happy for it, but it doesn't mean the same to me as getting a medal at the end of a race or getting to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and taking a picture with a sign or, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, because the work-related stuff, is it's it's not you on your own. There are so many different factors. There's you, there's the team, there's the people, there are, you have people that support you, that believe in like what you're doing, it's the product. It's not you on your own. And if you take credit for it on your own, then you're you're blind, you know? Yeah. But this is me. This is me waking up at 4.30 in the morning and, you know, sweating and not going out at night with friends and making choices every day to get that medal, yeah. you know? So it's just, in my head, they're just, they're very different. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answered the question. No, it, it, it does definitely answer the question, but it's also, um, for me, it's, for example, an award, you know, it's literally a decision of someone else. Yeah. It's not your personal decision. No. You are completely out of control of that. Yeah. Uh, winning a medal, it's as you said, when you're waking up in the morning at 4.30, it's totally up to you. Yeah. No one else decides if you achieve it or not. It's yeah. totally up to you. Yeah. And a medal doesn't necessarily tell you the time. It no. just tells you you've that done it. You, you've done it. Yeah. And you, you personally have done yeah. it. Interesting. So going to be a finish line. The cover going to be something. Something like fi that, finish yeah. Line. So when I... People usually associate uh, seeing someone crossing a finish line with, with, with pain, you know, yeah. with suffering. You yeah. said it's not, definitely not pain. It's definitely not. Yeah. Um, when I opened the book, mm. 
usually you see the thank you notes. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate I write the book for X, Y, Z, yeah. a lot of people. Who do you appreciate most in your life? Who would you dedicate the book to? Too many people. I can't, I mean, um, so if I was to dedicate it to someone, it would be to my girls because they they actually kind of like the pride I see in their eyes when I do these things makes me want to keep doing it. And every time I think so when my foot was broken, one of the things that kept me going was I wanted to show my girls that don't give up on what you want to achieve just because you have a hurdle. Yeah. That was one of my biggest kind of motivators and drivers. Um, but there's just been so many people, you know, the person that when I didn't know where to go to buy a bike, you know, um, <laughs> she kind of helped me out. The friends that woke up with me because they knew I was demotivated. Uh, and I just, I wouldn't even know where to start. I've actually been trying to keep track of all the people along the Ironman journey that I'm on. Um, I've been trying to keep track of all the people that at different points have been influential. Um, and the list is very, very, very long. Um, but definitely my girls, my mom. I mean, my mom like just thinks I'm God's gift to the world. So it makes <laughs> me want to make sure I don't let her down, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's tons of people. Lots of people. Okay. Yeah. It'll be but like five pages long. But you, okay. <laughs> but you definitely put your girls on top. Yeah. That's definitely. It's interesting that you have, you know, that you're doing it for really people we love. Yeah. And actually you're putting yourself a little bit in the back. So you want to show, you want to teach a message as well. Yeah. And also for your work, we we're going to talk later. Um, every, when, I, when I currently see the book, I see like a, a personal story about someone who, as you said, not giving up, that overall yeah. headline is not, never give up in yeah. anything. If it's in your career, if it's sport, if your personal life, whatever. Yeah. Not giving up of... Uh, stopping the alarm clock in the morning at 4.30, you're still getting out yeah. in the morning. Um, Don't be mistaken, I do press snooze. <laughs> <laughs> but not the, most of the time. Not most of the time, <laughs> but I do press snooze. <laughs> it's one of my goals is to stop snoozing. <laughs> How many times? No, sometimes 10 times. But like, 10 times? Sometimes I'll, say if, so just sometimes I'll be exhausted and I'll just snooze like a million times, yeah. not 10 times, um, like two or three times. Sometimes I snooze once and then sometimes... I kind of focus and stop snoozing and just get out. Most of the time, I don't snooze. And you usually wake up at, when you say like 4.30. Yeah. So if I know I have to wake up at 4.30, I start snoozing at 4. So the alarm goes off at 4. So are you usually the person who can get up immediately or do you need like in the morning coffee? or? No, no, I get up. Within 10 minutes, I'm out. And you're out. Yeah. Once you get out, yeah. once you yeah. Once I'm out of bed, it's very very quick. <laughs> but it just it's that you know um, it's the kind of mental game every yeah. morning. Every morning, I think to myself, okay, so if I don't do it now, maybe I can do it in the afternoon, and then you know, and I know that it's never going to happen in the afternoon. Okay. And so I spend like a good two three minutes kind of playing, talking to myself in my head. And then eventually I get out because yeah. I know that if I don't do it in the morning, it's game over. It's done. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's usually I prepare myself mentally mm. 24 hours beforehand. Mm. But I literally brainwash myself Yeah. and say, okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got this. Yeah, but so when I it's every day. I dream about it, actually. <laughs> when it's every day, it's, it's done. You know, Definitely, like now I yeah. can't even, even if I try to sleep in, I wake up at five. Yeah. Like there's nothing I can do about it. My yeah. body is just totally 
kind of tuned into 5 a.m. Yeah. So, so you did a, a morning run today? Sorry? No, this yeah. morning actually was a rest day. A rest day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. okay. Yeah, okay. so I, um, I did some work, I did some emails, I did my meditation, whatever. You okay. Know? And so, yeah. Rest days, good. Yeah. So um, your book, um, on the second page or third page, usually mm. you see the table of content mm. and that table of content is like in chapters. Yeah. So when we talk about chapters, um, and I'm going to read, open your, the first chapter in your book. What would I read in the first chapter? Would it be your, how it all started? Would it be your childhood? Would it be chronologically? What it would, would it be? What would I see in your first chapter? Um, I've already got the line. You've got the right line? <laughs> okay. <laughs> what line? Uh, and I always tell it to people, you know. Um, if you were to ask me when I was eight or nine years old or tell me that I'd be doing marathons and triathlons, I would tell you that you were crazy for thinking that. If you asked me at 14... I was the slowest kid in class. I was the girl that used to forge her mom's signature to get out of PE. I was the least likely person in the world to be an athlete. You know? From the childhood. From, From the childhood. childhood. So I, was, I was the least likely person to ever do anything like this. And if I could do it, anyone can. So... What did you do instead then when you were not that like sporty, very less I used to active, uh, uh, in a child? What, what did you do? Were you interested in reading? In, yeah, in, in I was in reading and just being a girl, you know, playing and, you know, hanging out with my friends and doing my... St I used to sing. So I would sing okay. and do um, theater stuff. So I was always in plays and musicals and I was always singing solos and um, drama class and drama shows and things like that. I used to play the piano. And then, um, yeah, but I was the girl that in the one-mile run at school, I would be so slow that the teacher would just say, listen, just stop and go home, you know, like, let's just forget about it. You're holding up the entire class. So it was just, like, how, not a part of my life at all. If you remember that moment, how did you feel in that moment when the teacher turns you like, you know what, let's... No, it was it too much. It was fun because I used to walk and gossip with my friends. I wasn't even ah, trying. Okay. Like so on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah on purpose. Okay, okay. It wasn't yeah. because I was actually like terrible. It just mm. I had no interest. And so me and my friends would just chill and we would gossip and, you know, walk around and, you know, just be girls and have fun and yeah. um, no interest at all. <laughs> so, yeah. So how are your friends remembering you in your yeah. Young age, children's stage. Uh, yeah, just music mainly, music and so drama. And music. if you go onto my Instagram and you'll see some of my friends from those days, they will comment and say, can you remember when we used to walk the one mile run and when Miss So-and-so used to tell us to just leave and go home and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So everyone knows this wasn't what I was supposed to end up doing yes. at all. Yeah. So how was for you the, the growing up time? Was it yeah. for you like, um, as you said, like you just wanted to enjoy life, you just yeah. wanted to be young. Was it for you also, f you were very curious on the character or you were, you enjoyed every single moment or were you also like, had a goal in mind? You wanted to, yeah. as a young age, let's say. Around. I always wanted, I, oh, so my, my mom and my dad always used to say that we don't worry about Helen because she's very focused and she knows what she wants. So I was always very goal-oriented. Even when I was applying to universities, I had 
nothing in my mind other than I want to get into a good law school, you know? Um, so I did the model United Nations, the model U.S. Senate. I volunteered. I did everything I needed to do to get into law school. Um, I used to watch Law and Order, you know? That's it. That was my, that was my goal. Everything was goal-oriented. Um, I used to... And I was always very good at articulating what I wanted, you know? So even when I was kind of like we had exams or we had, um, you know, classes, no one would worry about me because mm-hmm. everyone knew that I knew what I wanted and I would get it, you know? It was never... No one ever doubted that if I put my mind to something, I would get it done. Uh, from when I was a kid, I was... Like, even when I was in kindergarten, what's that, like five years old? Yeah. I used to come home from school, tell my mom, you know, I already know what everyone else is ta- doing and I don't want to go to school anymore. And, you know, I, I already know all this stuff. So they went to the school and they talked to the teacher and the teacher said, yes, she's, you know, like ahead of the other kids. Yeah. What do you want us to do? And um, they said, we're going to bump her up a year, you know, yes. because she, she I, I was just so focused yeah. So even what would take other kids an hour, I'd be done in five, ten minutes, and I'd sit there and just be like, I'm done, you know, because I, would, I wouldn't be distracted by anything. Yes. In your te- that makes sense. Yes, in your TED Talk, uh, we, are all, we are all born entrepreneurs. Yeah. You talked about it a little bit, uh, about yeah. your the parents, and, yeah. uh, and also like you symbolized it to other kids or childhoods who, who say, okay, As a kid, sometimes you don't know yeah. that you don't feel comfortable. You don't know why you were depressed. You don't yeah. know why you were, et cetera, et cetera. So when you said you were bumped up to the next yeah. level, was it because you, you felt not comfortable with what was teached from the, from the skill level? Or was it just boring? Or was it just, just not the topic? Or was it the way that not they listening ta- to you? Just the way that it was taught, the topic, every, it, just, it just didn't make sense to me. You know, okay. I used to come home and I would cry and I'd just be like, I don't want to go to school anymore because I was just so bored. And um, it just wasn't interesting. Maybe if they'd sang it to me, knowing that I loved music, yeah. I would have been more interested. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I just, I had no interest in like the way that it, the content, everything. It just wasn't interesting to me. So it was not necessarily a dialogue. It was more kind of a monologue. They told you what to do yeah. and they were not listening to you. Yeah, and I was no. always the, yeah. like, yeah, I don't like people telling me what to do, right? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess it started at a young age. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, when you want to say your first chapter, Till what age would be your first chapter? Would it be till teenage age? Would it be even earlier? Till uh, probably age until where you go to the school. It's probably a, a very clear different chapter is university. Okay. So so, so till university yeah. would be the first. Yeah, because until then I was the same person. You know, I was the girl that grew up in Bahrain. My friends were all of a certain kind of uh, you know um, social circle. I was living with my parents under the same kind of influences. Um, I wasn't really given like an opportunity to think outside of these social norms. So until I went to university, even though I went to summer camps and things like that, but until I went to university and I lived on my own, I was always the same Helen that my parents had molded me to be. I see. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it is. So, um, and then I went to university. I was quite young when I went and I was on my own. Okay. And 
I didn't know how to navigate that system and that's when I was really lost you know yeah so everything just went downhill from there and that was probably one of my darkest chapters you know or the big black hole in my life so you choose law right yeah. you did study law yeah in that case so when you say that's the darkest chapters because yeah. there was no orientation there were no path given to you or you all of a sudden f faced the reality uh, saying actually in a school Yeah. People gave you a path. You yeah. need to do X, Y, Z, and all of a sudden, yeah. they're not supporting you anymore. Um, the it was a, co a combination of a lot of things. You know, um, coming from a background that's very protected, to going to England where you're not protected. Mm -hmm. Okay, so from everything from someone, you know, making sure you come home on time, someone making sure that there's food on the table. You know, all these kind of things. All of a sudden, I was left kind of stranded mm -hmm. add to that I didn't know what I wanted to study I thought I wanted to be a lawyer okay but I think I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer because my dad was a lawyer and because everyone thought I would be a good lawyer but when I got there I realized that this wasn't for me for the very very simple fact is law is all about memorization mm -hmm. I can be an excellent lawyer I don't have the skills to memorize. I don't know how to, my, my brain doesn't work that way. My brain understands concepts and yeah. understands in pictures. Yes. So even today when I talk to people, I send screenshots, I, I see things. Yeah. I don't memorize things. And that automatically was, I was at a huge disadvantage. Okay. okay? And then I was hit with a very big reality check that actually being a lawyer doesn't change the world. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to save the world and I wanted to make the world a better place. And all of a sudden I realized that actually that's not the case at all. But I had never even had these conversations with anyone before yeah. I went to university. Yeah. Because like I said earlier, everyone thought Helen knows what she's doing and she's got it figured out. Because you showed them. Because I showed them that I... Oriented. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I had always put on a front from when I was very, very young that yeah. I know what I'm doing. And so no one even wanted to help me. I didn't no know how. It. No one questioned yeah, it. No yeah. one asked, asked me. Yeah. Um, no one challenged me. They just thought I was okay. Yeah. And so I get there and I had no clue. I bought the wrong books. Like I went to the, <laughs> I went to the, the bookshop and I bought the wrong books because I just didn't even know how <laughs> to understand. I didn't even know how to understand the book lists and what I needed to buy. Yes. You know? Yeah. And then... Um, I didn't know how to use the bus. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, like, I knew, I didn't know how to use a library, you know, yes. like I knew nothing. And in England, there's so much pressure because you either pass or you fail. Yeah. And if you fail, your whole year is over. You have to redo the entire year, yeah. you know? And so there I am. I mean, my parents weren't wealthy. So for them, put, sending me to a, to a university like this was a big deal, yeah. spending that kind of money. I have this responsibility that I have to be okay But I'm not okay, you know? Yeah. And so um, I used to sleep all day. I wouldn't go to classes. Um, I just, I had nice people around me that were very supportive, you know? But I was really on my own. Like I would sit 
in my room all day and not leave. And yeah. it was cold and rainy and I'd never lived, I'd never even seen rain. I lived in Bahrain, you know? Yes. And so all of a sudden it's gloomy and it's raining and it's cold. I don't even know how to, what, like where to get an umbrella from. I just, nothing. <laughs> so I was sitting there and I was severely depressed. Yeah. And that three years yeah. of my university years, just... I just couldn't get out of it because I didn't know who to talk to and what to do. And it just, you know, it was one thing after the other, yeah. after the other, after the other. And then I failed and then I had to go and lie to my parents and reset my exams. And then it just, it was a mess. So was it in, in London? It was in Manchester. Manchester. Manchester, yeah. Manchester itself is also yeah. Yeah, Very a bit isolated. It was isolated. And yeah. um, the it was right after the IRA bombing. So Manchester was a dump mm-hmm. at the time. Now it's beautiful, you yeah. know. But when I went, it was a dump. Yeah. Um, my parents had put me in an all-girls kind of dorm. Yeah. So the environment was all very, very, you know, proper. I remember we used to have to, before dinner every night, say, Benedictus, Benedictat, Amen, you know, <laughs> yeah. and stand and like, it just, yeah. you know, it wasn't for me. I just didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then the second year was a disaster. And then the third year was a disaster. And I was seeing like a counselor on campus. And okay. I got them to write a letter to my parents. And just because I wanted to quit. But my parents were like, you know, you d- you can't just quit. Yeah. You know? And I was like, I, I applied to universities in the States. I got into Georgetown. Like, I just wanted to get out. Just get out. And, um, but to continue your studying in a, in a different subject? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to study something else, but something I didn't else, even know what I wanted to yeah, study. To like now I've actually gone back to university yeah. and I'm studying at London School of Economics and I'm studying international development, which is what, if I had had the right kind of advice at the yeah. time, yeah. I would have studied back then, yeah. you know, yeah. but I didn't know. Yeah. So now I'm going back to square one <laughs> and doing it all over again yeah. the way that I wanted to do it, you know? So... The time before, what age did you you went to to seventeen? Seventeen before adulthood. So, let's say the first chapter till age seventeen. Yeah. Before you started that very dark chapter, yeah. that lost and uh, yeah. confusion and uh, depression. How would you call that very first chapter till age eighteen? Uh, seventeen were includes teenage age, growing up in Bahrain. When you give when you give it a title, yeah. And I open it in table of content. Yeah. What title would it be? So probably the girl that did it all right, you know? Like <laughs> what did it all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I did everything right. I did everything by the book. I went, I dressed the right way. I talked the right way. I said the right things. I hung out with the right crowd. I never got in trouble. I didn't do anything wrong. I was, you know, I lived by the... Like I was, was society told you to do? Yeah, I was. Per, I was the perfect, like, I was the perfect kid. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and if I got in trouble, it was because I, you know, went behind my parents' back to like this party, you know, which was like a lame, lame, lame party. That yeah. you know, like I never did anything wrong. You know, uh-huh. I never smoked. I never like nothing. You know, um, I didn't date anyone. I like I was just I was such a good girl. You know. Yeah. The good girl, you know. Um, and then, uh, and from then 18, uh, 17, age onwards. The, the lost girl. Dark, the lost girl. You know, so the good girl and then the lost girl, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, I still, even at university, I did nothing wrong, you know. Um, I was still very, very kind of straight, you know. 
um, even whenever anyone would want to do something that's slightly like naughty, you know, oh, yeah. let's go out for two, let's go out party, or yeah. I'd be like, no, no, it's okay, you know, um, like I'll just, I'll, I'm gonna stay in tonight because I was worried that like my mom would call and find out that I was staying mm-hmm. late and I had a curfew, and you know, yeah. I self-imposed curfews and just, yeah. <laughs> so that time in the UK, yeah, um, you you actually called it a very dark time, yeah. How did you get out of this time? So after this two, three years, uh, what happened? Did you graduate? Yeah, yeah. And did then you, yeah. Um, I went to barely. It's <laughs> 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 like definitely, definitely was not, uh, definitely was not a top student at all. Actually, I had one uh, course that I hadn't finished, and I had to do it through correspondence. You okay. know, like it was, um, like it was. Yeah, I just barely, barely made it. And then um, I went to Jordan and that's when kind of like I started to find myself, you know, I started to understand a bit about who I was and what I'm capable of. So up until now, I hadn't understood what my own capabilities were, because in Bahrain, I was under the shadow of society and what everyone wanted me to be. In England, I was a failure, you know, I wasn't. I didn't know what I was doing. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed of who I was. I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I get to Jordan and my mom gave me an ultimatum. Um, I'd had a kind of training contract with a law firm and I was supposed to start on a Sunday. And so I didn't want to go. And um, she said to me that I have two options. Option one, you find a job. Option two, if you don't find a job by Sunday, you go to your training contract. Okay. It was a Monday or a Tuesday at this point. I had less than a week. Less than a week, okay. Yeah, we didn't have LinkedIn. We didn't have Google. We didn't have anything. But I kind of did everything I could to get a job. So I would like... Any she, kind of job. Anything, anything. anything. I would just, I would, sell, I would sell sandwiches on the road if, it, okay. if that's what it took, you okay. know? Um, so anyway, um, my mom kind of sent my CV to a couple of people, you know, I sent mine to a few people. Eventually, long story short, I ended up, um, by like complete kind of gift from God, (laughs) if you want to call it that, (laughs) I got a job and I got a job at an advertising agency. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know how important they were, but apparently I later understood that they were called Saatchi and Saatchi and they were one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. I didn't know that because we didn't have Google and I knew nothing about advertising. Yeah. But by Wednesday, I had a job. And so Barely two days- 48 hours. Yeah, 48 mm-hmm. hours later, I had mm-hmm. a job and it was in advertising. Mm-hmm. And the uh, managing director at the time was 29 years old. So he was like a young forward thinking kind of guy. And um, we had like amazing clients and I just took off, you know, I just, I started to, I fell in love with advertising. I fell in love with the industry. I understood it so quick. Um, And without, like before I even knew it, I was like getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And I was getting headhunted and recruited from other agencies. And it was just, I was take, I was like a shining star, you know? And, um, and I think it's happened because I loved what I was doing for the first time. Yeah. For the first time in my life, I was doing something that I understood 
that I got, that made sense to me, that I enjoyed, and I was successful. You mentioned uh, earlier that you loved drama in your childhood. Yeah. That's about creativity, yeah. art, design. Yeah. It's very related to that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it, definitely. I, it's, it's something where you can express yourself rather yeah. than memorizing it. 100%. So I was always... when I, why, why did I always think I need to study law? Because yeah. in, in the Arab world, if you're not from a wealthy family and your parents are going to pay for you to go to a good university... You need to study either engineering, architecture, medicine, you know, mm -hmm. one of those like really kind of whatever um, intelligent things <laughs> that are yeah. that have a really nice title in front of them, like yeah. ENG or doctor, yeah. or you become a lawyer. I see. And I was really bad at math and science. Mm. So I became a lawyer. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's why it was kind of the, I think the driving force behind wanting to be a lawyer from when I was young. Yeah was hearing my parents having the conversations with my sisters. My sister who wanted to be a fashion designer and go to Italy. My dad said, I wouldn't, you know, yeah. no. Yeah. My, things like that. Yeah. So I found the one career that would get me out, yeah. you know, which was law. Yeah. And that's why I st chose to study it. Yeah. But I was always one of those creative people. Um, I was never an artist. Yeah. But I was always, they used to call me the thespian in school, you know, okay. uh, which means the drama, um, the drama person. Yes. Um, even when there was graduations, they would call me to go on stage to present the honorary diploma to minister X, Y, Z. Okay. Even when I was like when I was younger. Yeah. I was always on stage yeah. and always lead roles. Yeah. And so, yeah, it goes well with the advertising. I think it's, it's about expressing yourself. Yeah. It's about being on the stage, being yourself and yeah. not copying it. I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that because um, if I just look back, it's, you know, I also come from the filmmaking drama side. I was yeah. also in a school where we did acting on the, and brought me to film school and creative yeah. side. And everything else when it comes to like memorizing, etc., Failing as well. Yeah. Very similar. So I think when it comes to creative people, they they have some kind of mindset to say, okay, they like to create an environment where they feel comfortable to express themselves. Yeah. And not to be confirmed into a system. Yeah. And that's very, very interesting to yeah. hear that, you know, from your childhood till yeah. you're actually an advertising company because yeah. advertising is about creating something new. 100%. Which is entrepreneurship yeah. in the end yeah. of the day. And I used to be the one that, uh, so an advertiser, I'm always, I've always been very good at writing. So even okay. until now, um, whenever I put like a, a post, a blog post or an Insta post or a Facebook post, a lot of my friends are like, you know, you need to write a book. And I've always loved writing. Um, and what made me really successful in advertising was I used to write the best creative briefs. Mm. So whenever we had, um, you know, a big project, they would come to me because I would be the one that would write the best creative briefs. I would write the descriptions of the target audience in a way that no one else would. I would paint the picture. This is what I was saying earlier. I, I think in pictures, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so when I would describe who the target audience is, I wouldn't say he's or she's 24 to 35. Yeah. I would say she dresses like this. When she walks into a room, this is what she looks like. And this is what she says. Yeah, yeah. She's got her hair in a bun that I don't, you know. Yeah. And I would describe the person visually mm -hmm. in such a way that everyone would understand who they're talking to. And to see it in front of and them. To see them in front of them. Yeah. And so they would come up with the best advertising campaigns mm -hmm. because they knew 
who they were talking to and what they were trying to um, what message they were trying to give. Yeah. Um, and that was my that was my talent. Yeah. So that time during the how, how long did you work for that advertising agency? So I worked in advertising for ten years. For ten years. So would you say that itself is a chapter? Yes, hundred percent chapter. Yeah. So that would be chapter three. Yeah. Roughly around <laughs> plus minus. How would you call that if you would summarize it? If you say you know you find your uh, a place where you felt like you can you know uh, be yourself and you um, know, grow dramatically as a person as well. How would you summarize that or give it a title? Um, it's a tough one because like it's kind of like the other side of the tunnel, you know? Um, the reason why I say that is because it was a shining light and it kick-started so much of who I am today and where I am today and understanding you know your network and understanding how to do business development so all of that was the foundation of where i am today yeah. and that was literally coming from where i was in terms of emotionally psychologically everything which was a very dark time this was like a shining light like mm -hmm. it was um don't want to be as dramatic at saying it. it was the light at the end of the tunnel because it wasn't the end of the tunnel you know but there was a shining light and um, you know that after a dark time, there can always be something good waiting for you. Yeah. You know. Um, so something along those lines. Shining light. Yeah. Something like something like that. Shining yeah. light. So, what happened after the ten years? Ten years. Yeah. It's a long time, as you said. Yeah. You learn a lot about business skills, yeah. interpersonal skills, etc., yeah. etc. Et what happened afterwards? Um, what made you? Both shift yeah <laughs> another field yeah um so if you remember i was saying i wanted to study law because i wanted to change the world right and that was always something that was um kind of in the back of my head my mom worked with a lot of charities and i always used to really admire people that worked in development and worked in this field where they kind of did good for the world you know yeah. and i had all my idols were not actresses and they were you know political activists and social justice people you know and um what when what happened was my dad passed away and before that he was sick for a few months um for about eight months and in the eight months when he was sick i was so i was a workaholic okay so i was always at work i was working you know day and night um crazy hours so when my dad would go into hospital, I would be the one that would go like pick up the blood from the blood bank and take it to the hospital. I'd get my friends to donate blood, but I wouldn't spend enough time with him. Mm -hmm. And I realized at that point that I hadn't spent enough time with him or, you know, the people that were important to me. I'd had my first daughter. I missed her first step. Um, you know, I was just it was just too much. Mm -hmm. And um, I was making excellent money. I was really kind of doing very well career wise, but I was. I always felt like there was something more that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was, but I felt like my purpose in life is not to be selling Porsche Panameras and Lamborghinis and Ahmad real estate. That my purpose in life is much bigger than this. So I finally, um, I had a breakdown um, and um, we kind of, uh, yeah, I just quit. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Okay. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I gave three months notice 
And I just kind of said, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. So um, it was good while it lasted, but I had a bigger mission in life. Okay. And that was, yeah. You shifted, actually. Because yeah. you were, you, as you said, like you were workaholic, you earned a lot, but yeah. it w didn't make you happy. No. It was just, I was, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed what I did. So yeah. don't get me wrong. Until yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I love advertising. Yeah. You know, I do freelance work every once in a while with friends, you know, and I love it. Yeah. But it just, I don't think that that's why we're here, yeah. you know. Um, and sometimes everyone has a different purpose. Yeah. And I know that I have a bigger purpose. Yeah. And I've, it hit me at one point that I need to kind of do something good quote unquote yeah yeah with my life for the world have you, you heard know? you probably have heard about ikigai yeah it's yeah. very similar what yeah it just reminds me right now about yeah. this you're putting the purpose in the center yeah and putting everything around the 100%. work the, the passion the yeah. where you earn the money it's very yeah. similar yeah so that was kind of for you the realization what yeah. was actually important for you yeah Focus you on. know what's my legacy like yeah. I, i remember thinking one day i'm like if if today i was gonna go what would people say about me oh she's a great advertising person you know yeah. like that's not who i am and i think um you kind of every time like one major life kind life thing happens you get a um you get a shock right yeah. so my dad's passing away it didn't hit me right away he passed away in august it hit me in october Yeah. So for the first few months, I was just, you know, numb to the whole idea. When it hit me, I was like, whoa, I'm, do I'm, I'm just, I need to do something with my life. Yeah. You know, when my dad died, people said things about him. Yeah. You know, what are they going to say about me? Yeah. She, a great advertising executive, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't do anything. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So what did you do afterwards when you did that, that um, notice period and then shifted? What did you took actively time of completely switching off, isolating yourself? Not or was it more just yeah. looking actively what's next? I literally uh -huh. uh, went right... So the day that I resigned, yeah. I've called a friend of mine who worked with a non-profit organization and I said, listen, I've resigned because I want to work in non-profit. Yeah. And he said to me, listen, you can come and volunteer with us. I don't know about the job, um, but because he was on the board. Mm -hmm. um, he was one of our clients, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, he's like, you can come and volunteer with us, but I don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I was like, cool, it's fine, I'll do it. So I went and I volunteered with them. And I was lucky in that the um, Queen Rania of Jordan was actually one of the chair people of that board. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up in an event where people from her team were there as well. And they saw me and they're like, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm, you know, volunteering with X organization and... I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And so one of the girls said, listen, why don't you come and interview with us? She's like, we're looking for someone to do international relations and fundraising. Um, so would you be interested? I was like, yeah, sure, of course. So I went. She's like, you need to, like, if this is what you want to do, then we can find a way to make you do it, you know, or let you do it. So I did that. And I ended up working with uh, an organization called the Jordan River Foundation which does community development, youth entrepreneurship, employment, all sorts of different development um, areas. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's what I did. And I got into the community development, uh, social impact work. Um, what year was it? 2010, I guess, 2010, yeah, 2000, end of 2009. 
I think I started January 2010. Yeah. So when when you did start in this field, how did you feel? I did you feel like you <sighs> got closer now? <sighs> Finally, it was just oh my God, my eyes would light up. You yeah. know, my um, I would go to the communities and I would sit with the people and I would like just the joy. I'd go sit with kids and I was just the happiest girl in the world. Like yeah. I loved what I did and I could talk about it for hours. I can still talk about it for hours. Yeah. And um, <laughs> being able to see like kind of from a social impact perspective, we used to do programs uh, where we would work with the community-based organizations and we would give them a grant mm -hmm. and we would train the people in the community-based organization of how to manage that grant and how to give it out as microloans. Yes. And we would see that, you know, a village that had 7,000 people that didn't have any bread because there was no bakery, with $700, all of a sudden, you know, they can build a bakery and they can employ people. Yeah. And I just, I was just mesmerized mesmerized and in love by that idea that something so simple and so small can change the lives of so many people you know small contributions yeah. the Kiva model oh. small contribution and you can yeah over time grow yeah give that yeah was that was that a time because you mentioned about you met so many young kids there yeah. as well you spoke with so many was it that trigger the time where you started to work more and more as young kids and so got slightly into entrepreneurship or which lead to no, this no <laughs> i've always so you know how you always like you were saying earlier that there are certain connections in life that you kind of Correct. don't really understand mm. if i was to look at the way i lived my life before i was always supposed to be in something to do with education yeah because in 11th and 12th grade in school I did something called IB, International Baccalaureate, and we had to do something called an extended essay. Part of this extended essay, you had to come up with a topic. The topic I chose was the importance of play in the development of a child. I see. It wasn't something we learned at school. It wasn't something that, you know, anyone had talked to me about. I had seen a VHS tape when I was visiting my sister in the States that talked about importance of play in development of children. Mm -hmm. I bought that VHS for some reason. I watched it and I thought, this is very, very important. And I wrote my extended essay. I had to get a special approval to write my essay on a psychology subject, which was not taught and which was not one of my core subjects in school. So if you look at that and look at where I am today, you'll see that that was always something that was part of me that I had just never allowed myself to explore yeah. because of the quote-unquote society and the need to do law, etc. But I knew from then that I wanted to do something with children. Otherwise, at the age of 15, I would not have bought that video that has to do with development and play yeah. and education for children. I think in the long in the future, you always, when you look back, you can connect the dots. And I similar. only connected that recently. Yeah. It was one day, it was an aha. I was like, oh my God. Because someone was asking me, they're like, didn't you know you wanted to be in education? I'm like, oh my God. You know, I should have listened to my, I should have yeah. listened to my inner voice back then. You know, the, the first time I met you in E7, when you had that speech, yeah. you actually gave a very inspirational and motivational speech mm. to young girls. Yeah. And... It's education in the end of the day when you share your personal experience. Yeah. And you encourage others to take risks as well. Yeah. It's in the end of the day education. Yeah. Not in a traditional form of like, 
facts as yeah. in maths, etc., but also encouragement 100%. is an education. 100%. It's a soft skill. Yeah. And that's more many like as well. So that moment, that aha moment where you just said. Yeah. You had it always in your back. It was always there. And my Uh, grandfather was a very famous teacher. Yeah. You know, and my aunts and like, um, I think it's something that's always been in my blood, but I just never allowed myself to to venture into it. So tell me, how did you reach now to to become the CEO of the business world? How how did that all come together Um, from that? Yeah, so where you started working in the social impact. Yeah, so um, when I started working in social impact, I started to see a lot of different kind of areas and a lot of different habits. Yeah. Okay. So we used to work with, um, again, I'm going to use the word entrepreneurship a lot, but the entrepreneurship that I mean is not like the entrepreneurship that we see in Dubai now, where it's like these. How would you define it? Entrepreneurship are people solving problems in their communities. Okay. There are micro entrepreneurs. There are people in the villages that are opening up the bakeries. Mm-hmm. There are um, youth coming out of prison, setting up something small so that they can get back into the workforce because okay. they can't find jobs. Yes. So all of these different people are all entrepreneurs in different ways. Okay, and I was exposed to a lot of these people. Yeah. I was exposed to the guy, the woman who was uh, pressing olives in her garden. And selling them to make money to feed her kids. Yeah. I was exposed to the um, the group of kids that were coming out of prison that, like I said, no one would employ them because they had a bad history. Yeah. But they were reformed and they wanted to do something good, so they turned to entrepreneurship. I was exposed to, um, you know, young girls that were making skirts and selling them in, you know, rural areas. So I started to see that entrepreneurship is actually a, a solution for a lot of social issues. A, it's an, econo- an income-generating um, you know, venture in w- certain ways. But more than that, you learn how to be a bit more organized. You understand budgeting. You start to understand how you have to connect with people because you have to sell. Yeah. And so I started to see this entrepreneurship and people have killed the word here, you know? Yeah. Um, or at least in these days. Yeah, yeah. But Entrepreneurship really is about solving a problem for a community and actually has a whole host of skills that make you a good entrepreneur. Yeah. So when I started to see that, I started to kind of understand that these are skills that need to be honed when people are very young. Because um, I used to be the CEO of a foundation called Mowgli, which does mentoring for entrepreneurs when I moved to Dubai. And we used to work with entrepreneurs in Libya, Tunisia, Morocco, the UK, everywhere. And the problems were the same. Mm -hmm. The problems were not how to write a business plan. The problem was the emotional side, the life skills, the soft skills side, the skills that you can't teach by reading a book that you have to experience. Yes. A lot of these are values. A lot of these are things that you learn when you're very, very young. They have to be ingrained in you. If you are, as a child, you're encouraged to fail and try and fall, then when you grow up, you're able to handle it better. Mm -hmm. When as a child, you're taught how to research and how to find solutions. And, you know, again, when you grow older, it becomes second nature. Yes. So I've always believed that there's a power in education, 
that children need a good education and that a big part of that education needs to be the entrepreneurship mindset. Yeah. It's not entrepreneurship in terms of writing business Bis- yeah. plans. Yeah. It's the entrepreneurial mindset. And when I say that everyone was born an entrepreneur, like you mentioned earlier in my TEDx talk, it's because children are sponges and they are able to do all of these things. If you look at kids and put them in a room with a bunch of toys, they will find something to do. They will build something. Yeah. They'll put the blocks on top of each other and they will build something. They will dress up the Barbie and they will dress up this and they will create a story. Yes. And what we do is we kill it because we put them in systems. So yeah. that's how BizWorld came along. I had done different kind of entrepreneurial ventures and worked in entrepreneurship. And I'd seen that the key to, the real key to actually helping kids is giving them entrepreneurial skills from a young age. Yeah. And it's so simple. Yeah. The skills, you mentioned skills, giving yeah. them skills. Um, and you mentioned about storytelling, actually. Yeah. I remember like years ago when I worked with kids um, in, in filmmaking, I, I love working with kids in okay. film. And when you give them a story, yeah. they're creating the story. 100%. In other words, they're creating similar entrepreneurship. They're building the story. Yeah. But you need to give them the framework, the tools yeah. exactly. to grow As you said, our system is currently dictating what to do yeah. rather than giving them the freedom of exploration. Yeah. And when you see them exploring, when you see them building it, yeah. you see they have energy to take the next step yeah. rather than being depressed and switching yeah. off. Yeah. And you can connect to them. As you yeah. said, as entrepreneurs, I think this is what you said. It's like when you, if you allow me to say, micro-social entrepreneurs, yeah. similar. Yeah. Everyone is actually helping each other. Exactly. Rather than just on their self-interest. Yeah. And definitely agree, the definition here is different than, yeah. uh, in, for example, in the UK or in, in other parts. Yeah. Um, even so, the word entrepreneur is, in the end of the day, it's, as a society says, like with uh, raising funds yeah. in order to build a fortune, etc. Yeah. In the end of the day, it should actually contribute to the community. Yeah. And that's also the definition of what is social entrepreneurship. Yeah. Remember, like Impact Hub community in London, when yeah. it all started in 2005, mm. when I was part of that, in the end of the day, it was all about the community. Yeah. But the, that field in social entrepreneurship struggles. Yeah. Why? It's because the society is forcing you to focus on specific areas, yes. business plan, yeah. bank account, etc., yeah. etc., where yeah. you don't have time for other areas. Yeah, but now there's that's a huge movement that's actually um, kind of finally getting to this part of the world, yeah. uh, which is social impact investment. Yeah. And there are a lot of people. I mean, the United Nations did a great thing by kind of identifying the 17 SDGs. Although some people, when it was first established, thought that this is another one of those kind of uh, useless umbrellas. Yeah. But what's ended up happening is people are actually making, creating actions to be aligned with those SDGs because those SDGs did not go away. Yeah. And people are seeing that they're here to stay. Yeah. And so impact, invest- to, in, impact investment is becoming a lot more uh, popular. Um, philanthropy is, I mean, I'm not, I have mixed feelings about, you know, philanthropy. Yeah. Um, but impact investing, I think, can change the world, yeah. you know? Um, 
but yeah it's there's there's a, there is a movement that's starting yeah um but also the the responsibility is on the social entrepreneurs because if they continue to think like a charity and don't operate like a business then they lose their case as well so i find too mm. many people that are so, that quote themselves or call themselves social entrepreneurs but they've actually got an ngo that they're running they're not profitable mm. and the idea is that you need to be able to come up with a venture that supports the community that gives back to the community but is also profitable so that it can be sustainable and to s- that you can and scale, scale it up and scale it yeah. not and necessarily means you earn more money yeah. but you reach more more people more yeah. people exactly in the end of the day yeah. yeah so this whole time when you worked in the impact world yeah how that how would you f- summarize that part so that's a, that was the first time where you re- e- got in touch with so many young yeah. entrepreneurs micro entrepreneurs yeah. entrepreneurs so the community yeah aspect of it yeah which is more hidden. We don't yeah. see that, you know, when you turn yeah. on the news, we don't see that. Yeah. How would you summarize that? She time? wants to change the world. She wants to change the world. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Straightforward. She woke, up, she woke she up one day and wanted to change the world or something wants, like that. Wants to, <laughs> uh, okay. So I always like to, I know it sounds a little bit uh, silly, but I always call myself a girl, you know, like people say, ah, oh, lady, woman, you know, whatever. I always say, girl because we're all young we're yeah. all young girls and young boys if you kind of yeah, allow yeah. yourself to be yeah so um, i think all of my chapters in my book would be you know the lost girl the the yeah. girl who wants to change the world you know um, yeah in the end of the day we always has have to be some kind of childish yeah. in a controlled way because yeah. otherwise the adulthood yeah. we keep forgetting yeah like being curious being yeah. like you know exactly but to be honest you know when you mentioned Everyone asks you like to write a book. I think you should write a children book. I oh. like a like a yeah. superwoman girl. Um, Actually, maybe that's a good idea rather than a biography book. Yeah. A children book. Okay. With a with a with a uh, girl as a title. Yeah. I actually maybe that's a very good idea. And your girl's gonna be one of the writers as well. Right. That's a very good idea. I think I might because steal I'm just that thinking idea. right now when I'm just reading the headlines of the chapters. It sounds like a little kid. Uh, a, <laughs> Girls empowering book as well. Okay. Um, yeah. As usually we see, you know, we super. I don't know, was it a couple of weeks ago when I saw in the documentary about um, children books and they all talk about masculine yeah. um, heroes. Yeah. But no female heroes. Yeah. And that's actually very interesting to see. Yeah. There's actually an organization, I'm not sure if it's in Lebanon, who emphasize of writing books or online educational children's okay. stories highlight female okay. heroes yeah. rather than just these yeah. uh, male heroes. It's very interesting. I'll look them up. Yeah. Maybe I'll write a book. I can send Kids you the book. link when I yeah, find please. something. <laughs> I, was, I was with the UN or something. Yes, okay. um, that time, um, that time where she wants to change the world. Mm-hmm. How long lasted that time? So still, that I'm still there. It's still there. Yeah. You're still, that is a chapter yeah. was still ongoing. Yeah. So um, that's, I think, the like, the chapter for the rest of my life, you know, until I okay. do something. I have a like um, I have a dream to build a school. And so I'm working on that. Yeah. Once I get my school up and running, then, you know, I'll have done the first step in changing the world. So is that related to this world? Or is that similar to what yeah. you're currently working on? Yeah. yeah. Um, so for everyone who's listening, can you explain us quickly what is this world? And yeah. what, what are you aiming to to? So BizWorld is entrepreneurship education for children starting from the age of seven and sometimes we go even younger. Um, And the idea is that we do project-based learning 
um, and experiential learning for children where we use entrepreneurship to teach them different life skills like resilience and creativity and teamwork and um, you know uh, empathy so we do like a social impact challenge and try to get children to kind of um, learn all these skills that I think are so important that we think are so important through an entrepreneurial project yes and we do it in different ways so we do workshops we have an award that we do uh, every year but also I work with schools and train teachers on how to use entrepreneurship as a tool to teach these different skills to students yeah you can do it through math you can do it and you can do it in the math class you can do it yeah. in the English class and yeah. we've experimented with both um, and it works because kids are learning vocabulary they're learning about uh, profits and, lo and losses and yeah. revenues but it's all through a fun project and they become sponges because they're learning so much and they're loving it yeah. and I've uh, done the project I've done these projects in private schools like IB schools but also in refugee camps yes you mentioned about this in the, in the yeah. talk about this yeah life-changing experiences yeah. in refugee camps yeah so i mean i do a lot of work in the refugee camps i sit on a few boards and advisory boards and all of that for uh, different organizations mm. so one of the things i decided to do was these people that i work with anyway you know um why don't i do something for their kids yeah um and so we you know we decided to do the workshops for kids in the refugee camps and the beginning the kids were like oh my god this is crazy what is this and people were thought i was silly for going and doing it yeah. and um but by the last day the kids were super happy they they were like over the moon the parents were crying from happiness because their kids were off the streets and working together yeah. we had kids that were refusing to work with uh, like boys refusing to work with girls you know but by the end the girl was the ceo of the company and the guy was reporting to her yeah we had uh, kids that um they didn't want to um they didn't want to come in on the first day and on the second day even though the workshop started at 9 a.m they were there at seven um we had kids talking to their father about why their dad's not making enough money in his plumbing business okay when you look at these stories and you hear about the kind of um, change that you can have just through giving them access to a project like this yeah. you kind of understand that there's more to like there's more to education than just the books that are being taught today because they left having learned so much they learned so many new words they learned even they were doing like different uh, mathematical equations you know they learned everything they yeah. learned negotiation they had to pitch their ideas to an investor and they had to negotiate. I mean, this comes down to the interpersonal skills, yeah. uh, the soft skills, yeah, exactly. actually, which you need in all kinds of areas. In life. Exactly. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. So you're aiming to teach them this kind of soft skills yeah. to be prepared for any kind of, you know, life path. Yeah. Uh, what life skills, soft skills, would you say is currently be missed being teached in the schools everything <laughs> like the number one number or two or three where we say it's um when it comes to this is really important where not necessarily the parents yeah. need to take over you yeah. know it's something where the school should take over yeah i mean um schools do drama you know but yeah. they don't do it for everyone you have to be in the drama club do you Correct. know what i mean yeah um so i think presenting in front of an audience which is confidence that's one yeah empathy is another one they don't they don't focus on these things 
teamwork, they'll put people in team projects, but they don't teach accountability versus responsibility. Mm -hmm. You're a team and you have to work together, but that's not how it works. When you have a company and the way that we do it is everyone is responsible, but certain people are accountable for certain things. Mm -hmm. And so it's, that's kind of, it's a different approach yeah. to teamwork. Yeah. Um, understand, so teamwork, resilience, they don't teach grit and resilience, you mm. know? If you fail, you get a C and that's it. But what we do is you prototype, you try, you fail, you try again, you try again, you try again until you get it right. Yeah. And so my, like my definition of my life is resilience. My, my offshore um, holding company is called Al Azima, which is resilience in Arabic. Kids aren't being taught to be resilient. Everything is given to them on a platter. Mm -hmm. You have everything, you know, like they don't have to work for anything these days. So resilience is another one that's not being taught in schools. And it's critical for everything in life. Yeah. It's the foundation. Yeah. If you have resilience, you can conquer anything. Yeah. If you don't, consider it done, you know? So... I can go on. There's so many things. Yeah, um, I, I can imagine. You know, but I mean, I would say resilience. If it was one yeah. thing, it would be resilience. Resilience. Yeah. So when you say this is a, more or less the last chapter, the chapter four, mm. um, the girl who wants to change the world, what would be the next chapter? You, you, you mentioned it just now, you know, you were aiming to build your, your own school, yeah. etc. What, what would be the next chapter? What is your next chapter? How I changed the world. <laughs> how to change? Wants to change? How to change? And how she did, you know. Um, I think, my, like I said, my dream is to change education in the Middle East, North Africa, and even the world, you know. Um, there are a few places around the world that are doing interesting things in education. Um, but the way that I see it is there are a few kind of silos, you know, um, and it would be great to be able to do something that's a bit more comprehensive and a bit bigger that you can access, you can give access to good quality, progressive, awesome education mm -hmm. to everyone. Yeah. The way that it works today is either as a parent, you have to sell your liver or kidney to put your kid in a good school, <laughs> yeah. or you're going to put them in a, in a pretty basic school. Unless you're in Europe or the U.S. or Canada where they have, you know, good quality education. Yeah. But even there, like, I guess, unless it's Finland, you know, or whatever, even there, it's based on the district that you live in. So if you live in a high, in a high income district in New York, mm. you're going to be able to access a good school. Yeah. Which means you need to have money. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, in right? The, yeah, in the so the fine. It can be a public school and it can be free education. Mm. But if you're not in the right district, you're not going to get that education. It comes down to the quality as well. I mean, free yeah. is not necessarily means good quality. No. It depends on, on yeah. the part of the world. Good quality usually requires a lot of money, but not necessarily guarantees yes. good quality also. Yeah. There are a lot and of very expensive schools that are not that great. The, yeah. You it's, know? Uh, it's actually yeah. exact the opposite. Yeah. Counterproductive. Yeah makes yeah. the child even worse because yeah. they put you in a system. Yeah. The, a lot of protection. the public schools, like the, by public schools in the U.S., these are the ones that are the very, very elite schools. Yeah. You know, the fact that you walk into the school and everyone looks exactly the same. They, and in England, you know, and they have their knee-high socks and their black shoes with like the one strap and the three sweat, you know. Yeah. That's not like, that's not developing individuals. That's developing a system. 
you know? So yeah, I think that would be, that's like and my life. And you teach conformity, you teach yeah, that you need to just, fit to a certain area. I don't, I mean, like my school, it'll have uniforms just because it makes life easier for parents, you know, but the kids will be able to wear their tutus on top of their shorts if they want to, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, I think, find a way to make life easier. And also it helps kind of um, make everyone equal so that people aren't coming in in like certain brand names yeah, and showing off and, and whatever. Just see the different kind of yeah. social... But, you know, you can have uniforms that are shorts and skirts and trousers and tutus and, you know, dresses and like five. You can have four different colors. Why does it have to be two colors? You can have orange and blue and green, you know, yeah. you can make it creative, get yeah. creative with the uniform and it works. Definitely. <laughs> so, anyway. so that's the next chapter. When I, yeah. when I see the book in front of me right now. If it's a children book or not, no. if it's your personal <laughs> biography book right now. You know, in each book, there's a copyright section. A copyright yeah. section will says, you should not copy that. Yeah. And I transfer that now to your life. Yeah. What life advice would you give to young people? We would say, don't do that yeah. for my life. Don't copy me. Yeah. Don't do the same mistake I did. What would yeah. it be? Because um, usually we give don't advice. Spend too much, don't spend too much time worrying about other people. Um, I think, yeah, don't spend too much time worrying about other people. Um, life has taught me that if your cup isn't full, you can't do much. And I spent too much of my life worrying about other people, you know, worrying about what they thought of me, um, how I presented myself, um, what they what they would say about me, you know, uh, going out of my way to do things for people just because I wanted them to say I was nice, you know. Mm. And the reality is when I was in my low points, I was alone. And I only got to those low points because I'd emptied myself out so much doing things for people that weren't even there when I needed them, you know. And um, the truth is just be who you are and don't be shy about it. And when you're not shy about it, people have no choice but to accept you for who you are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, don't be shy about who you are. You know, don't worry about other people. Anything in that kind of context. And when okay, so when it comes to the to this, I guess you cannot start as early as possible. With what? I with that life lessons. You, know, no, you so can. As early, you of can. Of course you as can. Early, yes. My daughters come home and, you know, they'll say to me, for example, uh, my younger daughter, Jasmine, uh, so-and-so doesn't like me. I tell her, yeah. who cares? She's like, yeah, but I tell her, who cares? What, what is it about you that they don't like? You're, yeah. you're beautiful. You're a beautiful, beautiful human. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why? And, you know, Gianna comes in and says, oh, um, can I buy this? And I notice that it's not because it's something she wants. It's because it's something that someone else is doing. Yeah. I'll challenge her. You know, and I tell her, why do you want this? Yeah. This, does, this doesn't look like, it doesn't sound like you. What's going on? Yeah. You know, and then I tell her, give it a week. And if you still want it in a week, we'll go and we'll get it. But it also requires someone who's listening. Yeah. And that's many don't have. Yeah. Many yeah. observe it by themselves as well. Yeah. I close the book. Okay. I, I close the book. I turn it around. And I remember we had like the finish line yes. there. What title would it be? 
<laughs> if it's if you if know summarize all the phone if i can go get my phone i actually have options you uh, wrote down book titles so, someone people mm. keep sending me book titles and i write them down <laughs> because they always but don't they, they had to come they have to come from you yeah um i don't want a book title from <laughs> someone else i want to know your book title. so when you now summarize Just, it all together what would it be it would what? be grit Just the word. Grit. Okay. Sometimes the easiest book titles are the ones who we yeah. the most easy remember. Grit. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And then you see the finish line. Yeah. Because really, um, there have been, I know we talk about like my life in these kind of chapters, mm -hmm. which are very career oriented or um, they're, they were life changing, you know, of course. But there was, or they are my chapters, you mm -hmm. know, but each chapter came with a lot of lessons, you know? Yeah. And I've seen some very, very low, dark days in a lot of different times. And yeah. every time I think that it's, you know, um, that I don't know how I'm going to get out, you know, you find a way to get out again. And um, every time I've fallen, I've gotten back up. And not a lot of people look at the falls as opportunities yeah. and I do. Yeah. So even when my foot broke, for me, it was a beautiful opportunity, you know? Um, Not in that moment. No, but even, in the, no, <laughs> no, no. The, literally the next day, yeah. you know, when I found out that it was broken, I went to three different hospitals because I refused to put a cast and mm. I didn't want to have to have a broken foot. Yeah. But eventually when I did, you know, the cast was there and yeah. there was no escaping it. The first thing I did was I called a nutritionist, a friend of mine who's a nutritionist. I said to him, listen, how can you help me? You know, the first thing I did was I contacted the guy who helps me with my swimming. And I was mm. like, listen, can you send me dry land exercises for my swim? Yeah. I ordered a cast cover from Amazon and I moved on. Same thing with, um, you know, when I went through my divorce, everyone's like, oh, you know, are you going to be okay? I'm like, My mission is to have the most successful divorce. I'm going to be on great terms with him and he's going, to be a, he's going to be involved in the girl's life. That is my mission. And I want to be an example of how you can have a wonderful divorce and co-parent and be great parents when you put your kids at the forefront. Yeah. So everything is an opportunity to me, you know? And I've never... I can't think of a single time that I've gone through something that other people would say, I don't know how you're going to manage without me thinking in my head, what can I do with this to make it work in my favor? What can I do to turn this around so that I can learn? What am I learning? What am I getting out of this? The positive side. What is it the, that yeah. everything, everything mm. I can't even, I mean, I can't even begin to explain to you how many things have happened that I've kind of thought, you know what, I can turn this around, yeah. you know, I've, I was falling, I was telling you falling off a mountain. Yeah, yeah. I was in Nepal and I literally slipped on a rock and I fell off a cliff. I fell off a cliff and everyone was screaming. They thought I was going to die. I was a few kind of inches away from falling like into a ditch while I was falling. I swear to you, I kid you not. Do you know what I was thinking? Like, I guess this is how people die. And you know what? If this is how I go, I'm really, really happy because at least I'm doing something I love and I can be a good example to my girls 
that you should follow your heart and your passion no matter what the risks are. I swear to you, I'm not even joking or exaggerating. <laughs> that is what I was thinking. I was thinking they have a great dad. He's going to be around. Mm. It's okay. You know, they'll be fine. The girls will be fine, etc. And you know what? I'm doing something I love. Yeah. And I don't mind taking all of these risks and doing the things that I do if I'm 100% sure that I'm doing something that I love and enjoy, etc. Everything is everything is manageable. Everything yeah. is an opportunity, you know? That's a cross mindset, actually, what you said. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I wanted to dig deeper, way more deeper into the mountain, etc. And as you said, like each chapter has so many lessons, yeah. so many. And I think we're pretty sure we can talk about that yeah. way more. Maybe for the next podcast, it go really in details. Yeah. And um, I would love to know actually more the, the story behind each kind of race as well, what you learned, yeah. etc. Because each lesson, yeah. each chapter has its, as you said, several lessons. Yeah. Um, Almost want to wrap up now, but I have yeah. one question. Sure. One last question. What is your next race? Um, if nothing breaks. If, of course not. Because we have <laughs> <laughs> and if it breaks, you're most yeah. probably going to do it anyway. Yeah, but it depends on when. So hopefully not. Um, so my next big race is Ironman uh, Sweden, Kalmar. Which is when? Uh, August 17th. In August? Yeah. You have been in Sweden? Um, a Before. very, very, very long time ago when I was a kid, but um, I go t I've gone to Norway like um, a few times and um, I was supposed to do Ironman Austria, but the last two times I had registered for Ironman Austria, I broke a bone. So the I bone. decided the first time I broke my ankle, the second time I broke my foot. So I decided, you know what, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> Let's just move on and close the Ironman Austria chapter. And the Ironman Austria in, uh, in St. Pölten? No, it's in, in Cups. Um, Cups. No, a Klagenfurt. A Klagenfurt one. Yeah. Okay. That's very one, very nice one in near Vienna, in yeah. St. Pölten. But I think that one's a half Ironman. That's half Ironman. Yeah. You're talking about the full Ironman. Yeah, I'm talking full Ironman, okay. of course. Yeah, Yeah, different league than I am. <laughs> because I'm right now planning for the 70.3 yeah. uh, Ironman. I'm looking for in Europe also, like yeah. the one in St. Pölten. Yeah. So that's I've the next I've done a bunch of 70.3s. Yeah, so I, I saw <laughs> that. I was like, okay, I just... That's the aim for me, 70.3, to feel really comfortable in that yeah. and then go to the next yeah. one. But I've done four 70.3s. I've done 22 uh, triathlons in the last two years, mm -hmm. you know, so for, and I've done three marathons and an ultra marathon. So it's time for me to do my full distance Ironman, Ironman. you know, yeah. and I've been prepared for it twice, okay. you know, and I got to a point where I was ready for the race. Once I was a f like very close to being ready, and the second yeah. time I was ready, yeah. and both times something broke. So that's why now I say, Ironman Sweden, if nothing breaks. So <laughs> I will do everything in my power not to break any bones. And even if it breaks, yeah, I'll it's just be next the time. next one. Yeah, exactly. It'll get done. It's just Brilliant. a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Helen, where can uh, the listener find more about you online? Let's say, uh, is it Google? Google. <laughs> 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 so uh, in like terms of uh, BizWorld, it's yeah. uh, bizworlduae.org. Um, and then about me personally, it's uh, helenelhazezi.com. And there's um, links to a lot of the charities that I'm involved in and the social enterprises I'm involved in, things like that. And yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. All right. I'm going to wrap up now. All right. To keep the time as well. Aim for the right time. Yeah. <laughs> to finish. All right. Thank you so much for thank the time. Thank you for having me. Thank and you I so much. I think this is, as you said, so many lessons in each chapter. I think yeah. this will be a follow up, maybe during a triathlon interview. Okay.
That'd be cool. It's going to be the very first podcast being taken during a triathlon. Okay. <laughs> okay. With pleasure. That would be awesome. All right. Thank you All so right. much for the thank time. Thank you. Thank you. So that's Helen, empowering young kids, teaching them transferable entrepreneurial soft skills while empowering for Ironman 70.3 at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. A proof that there aren't excuses, only opportunities. Everyone interested to learn more about BizWorld UAE, please check out the link bizworlduae.org. Alright, give me a shout out if you are keen to have more entrepreneur athlete life books. What fascinates me the most? the soft skills athletes gain which are quite similar to entrepreneurial ones such as guest speakers topics critical learnings worth sharing for millennials leave a comment or drop me a message on social media at by daniel ludwig you can find me on instagram and twitter don't forget just never give up and always look up see you next time